eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. Bear down, baby. That's it. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Haw and Dan Weeder. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw from the Mully and Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder is from the Chicago Tribune covering the Bears. And we are talking to you after the conference championship weekend in which the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers advanced to the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 58. And Dan, I don't know if there were a lot of Bears takeaways from Sunday's games and outcomes. There were a couple ex-Bears involved in some key plays down the stretch. But what was your biggest overall impression about Championship Sunday, whether it relates to the Bears or not? Yeah, there were some uh, some some familiar names from uh, from Hellas Hall making some plays or not making some plays, as the case may be for Kendall Vildor in the second half of that 49ers-Lions game. Really in- interesting day of football overall, David, and I guess I would start with the AFC Championship game and, and that sense that, my God, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are just the killer, right? Like they're just the 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 horror villain that won't go away for teams like the Ravens a week earlier, the Bills, who do seemingly everything right. They've got the quarterback position figured out. They keep giving themselves these swings in January to to make these long runs in the postseason. And then Patrick and Andy and Travis show up and you're sent home and you're left with that restart and that that gut punch and that hollow feeling. Uh, and so that that was probably my biggest takeaway from the AFC Championship game is just how difficult it is to get through somebody like that and a dynasty like that. When you see Patrick Mahomes on this Jordan-esque type run, it, you kind of, you know, those of us who lived through the, the Bulls dynasty and, and every other team in the Eastern Conference felt blocked by the presence of Michael Jordan and the Bulls is probably the way a lot of teams in the AFC feel now. Mahomes is on this kind of a run. 
And and whether the Bears look, I think it's incidental almost this year that the Bears have the number one overall pick, and the, there's a quarterback who everybody is, has a consensus right now is is going to be the guy that every team who would have that pick would take. I think that's almost incidental. What Patrick Mahomes winning again and returning to the Super Bowl says or underscores is just why teams want that elite quarterback. You know, this year it's Mahomes. He's been a, a regular visitor and participant in the Super Bowl. Another year it will be Joe Burrow. And we've seen other examples, but it's why teams chase that kind of greatness. Because when you have a quarterback like that, everything and anything seems possible. Well, you and I have to be very clear here, and this is for the hard-headed and the hard of hearing. It's not all Patrick Mahomes. He has a obviously a Hall of Fame coach, Andy Reid, who's helped shepherd his development. He's got a, a an all-world tight end in Travis Kelsey. The Kansas City Chiefs defense played really, really well on Sunday in slowing down the Baltimore Ravens. But Patrick Mahomes is the driving engine of that entire operation. And when you see the belief that the past experience and the past success brings to the table, you understand the value of it. You mentioned the Jordan-esque Bulls. It was just that there was a sense that we're good. There was never a sense of, oh, no, you know, it was always, okay, we're going to get this figured out. And you almost felt the opposite for the Baltimore Ravens, who I described as having whatever one level below stage fright is, because that wasn't the same Ravens team that we've seen for most of the year. They were um, – undisciplined at times. I think they had five 15-yard penalties among their, their nine penalties on the day. Uh, they made some costly turnovers. They didn't take the ball away. And it felt like to me that the Chiefs scored the first touchdown of the game. Ravens matched. The Chiefs scored again. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh God, like we're going to have to keep up with this all day. And it, it, it almost frazzled the Ravens to a point where it became a belief game. And in my opinion, you get into a belief game with the Chiefs, you're going to lose nine out of 10 times. And I don't think there's anything to be uh, gleaned or, or it has much value in trying to look at, you know, Lamar Jackson did not have one of his better days. And certainly the Ravens season stopped there because of that or in large part or in part because of that. But I don't know that you're going to extrapolate that to say, well, see, see, you can only go so far with a quarterback who's a running run first quarterback. And so you want to apply that to the argument in Chicago when it's Justin Fields versus Caleb Williams. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a, a, a valuable exercise, even though I heard some of that or saw some of that on our morning show on the score, whether it was via texter or caller. I, I just don't think it's that uh, valid of a comparison. In, in the NFC, Dan, I think it's interesting because the Lions are at the top of the division, and that's where the Bears want to be. They want to take the North. We have the podcast to, to prove it. Uh, their meltdown... And blowing the lead, I think, is interesting because, to me, you if you're a Lions fan, I think you worry about it being more than just the end of a season. Yeah. I think you wonder how lasting the impact of this kind of a catastrophic loss and blowing a lead like this, like they did, what that will have in terms of an impact over the long haul on this franchise. I texted a buddy at halftime in that game. It's Lions 24 to 7 at that point. And I said, This is either the 2003 NLCS or it's the 2016 NLCS, right? It could, go, it could go one of two directions, right? You could have this collapse that scars you for a decade or longer. Yes. Or you could, or you could have what the Cubs had in 16, where it was they just kept building and building. And, and I, I think you were in this in Wrigley Field for game six of the 2016 LCS, where it was just like, all right, this thing's in control from start to finish. And there's, there, there was no stress at all in winning yes. the pennant 
Unfortunately for the Lions, it went the previous way. And Steve Bartman was Dan Campbell, <laughs> the, the guy who made a couple decisions that, that ultimately uh, will be questioned forever and decisions that are worth talking about because there are nuance to them and there are, you know, uh, details folded within them. Um, I'd be curious to get your take and then I'll give you mine on, on, on the way that second half started on Sunday afternoon. Well, you know, uh, Mike Valenti uh, from the ticket in Detroit, well-known, been there in Detroit for 20 years. He was on the Mullen and Haw show on Friday and he compared it to the Cubs. So I do think your comparisons are pretty apt. And I referenced uh, that feeling, uh, the, the Bartman-like uh, feeling after the Lions lost. You felt in 2003 because there was a feeling of, oh, my, oh boy. This is this this franchise is cursed. You can't yeah. do. And when the ball bounced off Kendall Vildor's face mask into the arms of, of Brandon Ayuk, you're like, oh my gosh, there's no way they're going to win this game. And then Dan Campbell passed on the field goal, which I think was the wrong decision. Dan Campbell, yeah, they're there because his passion and will and all the things we documented and all the compliments are valid. I just think that you can't be, you can't. You can't be reckless and, and and call it you know aggressiveness. There was a time and place to take the points, and to me, you tied the game. Seven and a half minutes left. You got a forty-eight yard field goal. Another ex-bear, Michael Badgley, probably could have nailed it from there. He's seventy-seven percent from that distance throughout his career. Not a huge sample size, but that's the same percentage uh, of say Robbie Gold, who has uh, a lot larger sample size. It's a makeable field goal. Take the, take the tie game and move on. And I think once they once they missed on that fourth down, then I think that there was no way conceivable, really, that they were going to come back and win that game. Well, I was bothered more by the first one that they passed up when they were up 14 points. And I thought that that situation was the situation that you dream of. The 49ers came out after halftime and they had a really impressive drive and they stalled and they had to settle for three. And Kyle Shanahan said after the game that he felt like that was a loss for them, that they didn't get seven points to get themselves more into the football game right away in the second half. And the Lions should have chalked that up as a win and they should have gone down and, and settled for the three, which would have kept them ahead by three scores uh, on that possession. And, and so you go for it. And I said, I said to my son on the couch, I said, after the third down play didn't convert, I said, you, you cannot go for it here. He goes, yeah, but he's Dan Campbell. And I was like, yeah, but you can't always be Dan Campbell. Like sometimes you have to manage the situation. You have to manage the game. And what I said on uh, 670, the score earlier on Monday, David, was sometimes you need an exhale far more than you need an adrenaline rush. And right. the Lions just needed an exhale there. Just get the three points, take a breath, keep all of the pressure on the 49ers. And in going for it and missing, all of a sudden you allowed misfortune to board the train. And you allowed the 49ers to have this belief that that they were ready to go. And then you mentioned you've got a, a, a pass off the face mask of a defensive back that's caught for a big game. Then you get a touchdown. Then Jameer Gibbs has the Alex Gonzalez ground ball to short. You know, the right. ball comes out and all of a sudden the, the floodgates are open. And that, that, that juju in the building is a real thing. And you've got a way... Uh, figure out ways to keep it on your side. And I just thought there were some some majorly squandered opportunities from a head coaching standpoint that um, will scar you. They will scar you until you get back to that place. They will scar you until you surpass that place. They may never heal if the Lions never get to the Super Bowl. Somehow, I think one day Dusty Baker may be blamed for the Lions meltdown <laughs> in the fourth quarter. I, I, I just think that is one of those things that and it's hard to describe, but, you know, they – are that kind of a franchise. And when you wait that long, things seem heavier and then the moments seem bigger. 
and you you don't get you don't know if you're going to have a second chance. And Brock Purdy was revived by that deflected 51 yard completion uh, to Ayuk, and he was a different quarterback after that, almost like he exhaled. And and so the 49ers did what they did, and Dan Campbell sounded afterward much different than the guy that we heard all season long. He said basically, and I, no I know what he's meaning. Yeah, no regrets. But he also said, we don't know if we'll be back. I, I just, I don't know how you say that after you basically were there just by the power of your belief. Now you're like, well, I don't, I told the guys, I don't know if we're coming back. So you might as well look around and enjoy this because, you know, this could be it for us. No, I, I just don't understand the rhetoric for a team that was basically fueled by rhetoric all well, season long. Know. That's emotion, and and that's a guy who wears his emotion on his sleeve, and he'll he'll regroup by the time they have their first OTA practice. I promise you that, and he'll be breathing fire back into that group. They're going to have to withstand whatever happens with Ben Johnson next. They're going to have to see what happens to their roster in the offseason, and they're going to have to understand that it's a lot harder to stay on the top than it is to get to the top, and that's something that is really, really, really clear, and it's really impressive about the teams that are able to do it over and over again. Um Another thing I brought up, David, earlier today was was the 2006 Bears, and you lived that a lot more closely than I did. But in conversations I've had with guys that have been part of that over the years, you know, you, you've got a guy like Patrick Manley who still at his home has the the confetti on the bottom of his cleat that belonged to the Colts, you know, and and you you talk to guys like Charles Tillman and other guys that were part of that team that talked about seeing the Colts line up for victory formation in the Super Bowl and thinking, man, like, I cannot wait to get back here because this hurts so bad. And guess what? You never get back. And then decades down the road, you go, man, I cannot believe we never got back. And it's just a reminder at all times of how precious those opportunities are. And the Lions, who had to wait forever to find themselves back in that moment, and not only in that moment, but dominating that moment, a first half that I think took everyone by surprise with how much they controlled that, and then it goes out the side door and out the window and down the toilet or whichever direction it went, and you just have no idea when you're going to be back in that position again. That's a really good reference point. I hadn't really thought about that. Uh, the 2007 Bears season, the one that followed 06 and then won the NFC Championship game, you've been part of a lot of losing in terms of covering this team the last decade, 11 years or so, and, and there have been a lot of hard seasons to endure. When you look back at 2007, I, I wonder how that compares to some of the most, one of the most disappointing ever. They were a team that came back after a Super Bowl appearance, winning the NFC Championship, and to your point, you know, I think 21 of 22 starters returned and they were ready to take that next step. And then something changed and something yeah. happened. And then there were injuries and it's never the same. So from that standpoint, Dan Campbell's exactly right. It's never going to be exactly like it was this season and the dynamics forever are changed. But I I don't know that you can count on anything. You're, that's a really good reference point. And I, and I wonder if the Lions, you know, they, they made Lionsing a verb again. You know, in 2024, yeah. they had eliminated that from our, our our vocabulary, and then they did what they did. So Ben Johnson leaving is going to change that dynamic for Jared Goff, the entire offense, and we'll see what happens next. Speaking 20, of – 2019 Bears also a similar fate where if you remember the Super Bowl sky-high expectations for the, the 100th season of the NFL, yeah. and every and no one thought that that team wasn't at least going to be playing in the playoffs, and then you you suffer through an 8-8 eight and eight disaster, and the quarterback never got – back to the same levels he was at and, and guys got old. And the next thing you knew, you're, you're, you're rebooting, you know, with a lot of different faces and a lot of different people in key roles. And it's just, you just never know. And so when, when you get opportunities, you better seize. 
The Bears celebrate handling adversity really well and often, but it sometimes comes down to how teams handle success. The Lions are going to find that out because the Bears historically haven't been really good at that either. You, 2006 to 07, that was a letdown. When they went to the NFC Championship game during the 2010 season, they come back, and that wasn't a good follow-up to that. And then you mentioned 2018, you win the division, you get double-doinked out of the playoffs, and then – 2019 was a disaster. So how the Lions handle the success, how they move on without potentially Ben Johnson will be interesting. I wonder what happens next for him as we sit here on Monday afternoon. Um, He's been rumored to be the next coach of the Washington Commanders. We'll see if that becomes official. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Either way, the Bears have got their own defensive coordinator now to try to uh, combat the Lions offense and everybody else on the schedule. Eric Washington was hired over the weekend. And, Dan, what did you think about that move for somebody who has been in the building before, been with the Bears before, familiar face, respected guy? What did you think of that hire? Yeah, I didn't know a lot about Eric Washington when he was hired. And I have people around the league that have had really close experience with him and reached out to a handful of sources there and got back some um, feedback that that both surprised and impressed me in terms of how he's um, regarded around people that have worked very closely with him. He was described to me as a, a quote-unquote military-type personality, a guy who's very uh, strict with, with making sure players follow details and are, are – keyed in on the fundamentals, but a guy who really is strong at connecting with players and in both uh, a, a teaching foreman as a teacher and, and as a motivator. And so um, there's some strong belief about what he can bring to the Bears defense. I, I was also told that that he has an aggressive mentality within this particular scheme that the Bears run. And so Matt Eberflus should be able to lean into that a little bit as he uh, continues calling the plays and, and find someone that can help complement him a little bit with ways that that keep things aggressive. And so I, I, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised to get back some of that feedback for a guy that I didn't know a lot about. I think obviously, um, you know, he was here during the lovey days, uh, coached with Ron Rivera in Carolina for a little while uh, was with Leslie Frazier in, in Buffalo. And, and these are people that are familiar with what the bears are trying to do uh, defensively also. And, and so um, y- you get kind of that identity that, that evolves over time. Um, and so we'll see where it goes, but I think that that's a, a strong thing to, to be widely endorsed the way he was. Didn't he also have a connection with Rod Marinelli, which would explain yes, a lot for why Matt Abreflus would be still connected or interested in him. And, and I think also if that's the common thread that connects them, then you understand why he would want to maybe come to Chicago, a place where he spent a a couple seasons already. Um, When when you look at him instead of other guys, they interviewed Chris Harris, or even I think there was a a reference or report that Joe Barry 
was going to be taking a look at the job, maybe internally, Dave Borgonzi. Um, any intel that you got in terms of telling you why he got the nod over those other guys? Nothing notable. It's my understanding that we will um, likely get to meet both coordinators next week uh, at House Hall. Hopefully, fingers crossed that uh, once the Bears coaching staff gets back from some of the, the scouting circuit here with the Senior Bowl this week and the East-West Shrine game having just wrapped up, we'll get a chance to hear from those guys and get a, a chance to learn a little bit more about the visions and philosophies of Eric Washington and, and Shane Waldron. And uh, away we go from there. We'll kind of get a feel for, for kind of their presence and, and what it is that attracted them here. And then obviously what they hope to do with the job. I think Eric Washington has a um, group, obviously, with Matt still in control of that defense and calling the plays that that's set up for success, you know, and I would, I would imagine it was attractive to look at a group that on all three levels is solid and ascending and, and think, man, this is, this could be really fun if we're able to, to do the things I envision doing. On the other side of the ball, the offensive staff still looking for a wide receivers coach. I think they've had a couple interviews in that regard. You can fill in the blank stand, but also they did hire Kerry Joseph to be the quarterback's coach, which is probably the third most important hire of this offseason after offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and quarterback's coach. And Kerry Joseph comes to the Bears from Seattle. Also, very interesting background himself, played in the CFL. Uh, was an NFL safety and then went to the CFL and was yeah. a quarterback and won the, the MVP in, in the CFL, I believe, for one season. Uh, Jarrett Payton knows him well and speaks highly of Kerry Joseph. I suppose he has uh, part of his uh, coaching resume includes reviving uh, uh, Geno Smith's career in Seattle along with Shane Waldron. What do you know about Kerry Joseph and what have you found out? So I want to know more. And that's where I start with this because he doesn't have an extensive background as a quarterback's coach. He hasn't done this for a long period of time. We're going to talk a lot, obviously, in the coming months about Geno Smith in 2022. I think it's imperative we also talk about Geno Smith in 2023 and why that uh, big bounce back year in 2022 didn't produce similar results in 2023. I think some of the buzz you heard around the league um, with the, the offensive hirings is that that maybe there is a little bit of hesitance in the outside world uh, of people that don't know whether this is more than a one-year job at Hellas Hall and not confident that they can firmly say that that, that coaching staff is on on firm ground and, and bet their careers on it. And so um, – you look like they're still looking for a receivers coach. They're still looking for a running backs coach. Shane Waldron obviously is going to have familiarity with Kerry Joseph. That's going to help, but this is a pivotal time. And we're, we're going to talk all spring and winter and, and into the summer and fall about quarterback development. And we just got done talking about Ben Johnson, you know, and, and this is a guy who all season long opened your eyes with how productive that offense could be. And ultimately you chose to keep your head coach in Manny Berflus. You chose to let him hire some of these offensive assistants. And now you're going to have to, to see what those results are, but you're going to be looking for results because you can't just go, Oh, well, you know, we, we had a chance to to really get it right with the marriage of the timing of whatever we're doing with our quarterback position and a, a new regime to oversee it with, with kind of some of these moves right now that I think David in a lot of league circles have elicited shrugs. It's not, negative comments it's not criticism it's just saying we'll see you know curious to see what happens there but no nobody is over the moon thinking that the bears have have hit a home run yet initially that doesn't concern me but i don't want to dismiss it initially that would only concern me if the people who were showing reluctance or maybe hesitation in joining the bears because of the uncertainty with Iberflus if he has a bad season in year three um if that affected the coordinator search 
I think I would be a little more concerned. I don't know yet. Maybe it has. Maybe we'll find out down the road from somebody who tells somebody who tells somebody else that, boy, I wasn't going to touch that Bears job because Fluce is a, is a lame duck. But I, I don't know that we have that kind of information yet. The quarterback's coach, I think – uh, okay, this is just my own thing. I always think that this goes back to when I was on the beat to to through now. I I, I think that's one of the most overrated positions on any staff because I think it's probably going to be the guy who is the third most biggest impact on the most important spot and job because you got the head coach and the relationship with the head coach and the quarterback. That's key. You've got the relationship between the play caller and the quarterback. That's key. Then maybe it's a position coach, but I just don't know how much impact the position coach is going to have. I don't know how much the Andrew Janoco, uh, what his impact was over the last two seasons about Justin Fields' growth or stagnation. I don't know. So I think this is always one of those jobs where I, I tend to say that we talk a lot about the day of the guy, the day he is hired and fired. In between, not so much. That could be a convenient out for me just because I don't know much about Kerry Joseph, but I don't know that I care that much to know much. Yeah, about I, I would tell you that you probably should care a little bit more because Andrew Dinoco is a good example for me where th- th- that was another guy who didn't have a lot. He played the position in college, but didn't have a lot of experience coaching quarterbacks when he got here. And obviously uh, Justin's relationship with, with Luke when that staff came aboard was going to be you know, one that, that was, was more significant and more valuable in terms of how they put it to all, all together. But I think that quarterback's coach has to be in lockstep with a lot of things. I think the quarterback's coach is also more significant when you have a defensive-minded head coach who's going to be spending more time on defense. And yes, they're going to have a, a strong relationship with the quarterback, but you are going to need people to echo teaching points and to spend a lot of time at practice in, in one-on-one drills and, and in meetings just really driving home the points of emphasis in a way where they get through and then they start to improve and you start to get results. Um, it's all a wait and see. I think it is one of those. I think you're right in saying this is a, it's a position that we talk about on the day they're hired and the day they're fired. And then not a lot in between, but that doesn't mean there's a lot of uh, not a lot of important things going on. In Fair enough. And maybe we need to spend more time talking to quarterbacks about what it is about good quarterbacks, coaches that, that make a difference. And, and so it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I, I always go into all these new coaches with open minds, and, and I, I, w- I want to hear what they, they're trying to do. I want to see what they're trying to do, and then we'll make our judgment as the results add up. Fair enough. I, I just think I want to be consistent because if I go to the point where I, I think we talked about when Shane Waldron was hired in the search for you know the next great play caller, it's about the player more than the play call. And if yeah. it's about the talent of the position and the player playing that position, I don't want to automatically think that either – I'm down on what's going to happen at quarterback because I don't know much about Kerry Joseph. And boy, do you know he played NFL safety, not quarterback. And I, I just don't know if if I'm ever if I ever spent one day holding Andrew Janoco even partially responsible for the fact that Justin Fields had bulky mechanics and didn't get rid of the ball quickly enough. I, I, it's a fair point because we need to maybe pay more attention to these nuances, but I just don't know that I ever have gotten too excited, discouraged, uh, either extreme based on who they hired as the quarterback's coach. Well, I'll say one other thing that, that marries up with that, and it's that we we can have all these conversations here in, in late January uh, about coaching changes. The quarterback decision that needs to be made here in the next couple months carries the weight of eight or nine of these other decisions. And so I, I, that's why we're going to spend most of our time there. That's why we're going to continue to emphasize it in the months ahead. That decision is weighted differently. And so these other decisions, they have weight, but they're not 
the weight of the decision that, that the entire city is arguing over right now. And, and so that's an emphasis that needs to be made because to your point, if you get a really good one, you can make up for a lot of the problems that may exist elsewhere with a quarterback who raises all boats and, and, and is that multiplier and is that elevator. Um, and now they have to decide who that's going to be for them or uh, decide who it isn't going to be for them. Which brings us to our last topic, the Caleb versus Justin debate. It will be ongoing for the next several weeks and months, likely. And it took a, an odd turn over the weekend, thanks to probably, I'm guessing here, some unintentional uh, uh, moves by the social media team up at Hallis Hall. The Bears at ChicagoBears.com and on the Chicago Bears X feed released a hype video. And it was a hype video about Justin Fields. Now, ordinarily, I would just not pay much attention to this, but it did create a little bit of a stir online in the social media community. Heck, Rick Morrissey, our guy at the Sun-Times, wrote an entire column about it in Monday morning's uh, Chicago Sun-Times, and uh, he got a little mileage out of it. Dan, how do you interpret the (laughs) video on – chicagobears.com and released on the bears x feed that was basically a hype video for justin fields so i need to pull our uh, our audience behind the scenes if i can just so that they know uh how this came to my attention i was out uh on the travel basketball circuit this weekend and didn't even realize it was released and i got a uh, a text from you saturday afternoon that said so i'll bite why would the bears put out a hype video on justin fields at the beginning of an off season that is as big as this one Dub oversight, typical of bears or subtle sign? Uh, I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know which one it is. I do remember that not long ago, the social media team put out a uh, beautiful picture of a red-haired quarterback uh, named Andy Dalton. <laughs> and, and, and and the caption of that tweet was QB1. This was shortly after they drafted Justin Fields and the whole city was gaga over the new shiny toy in, in the, the rookie quarterback from Ohio State. And they threw out a QB1 there and it was all sorts of chaos for a while i don't know i don't know i I, i'm assuming this is just uh procedural (laughs) on why they put that video out uh i don't read into it one way or another but i do think that to your point a little bit here that that there needs to be i don't want to say you need to message your decision early because you don't want to tip your hand but you do you do need to be aware of where the the outside discourse is because you need to be able to manage reaction and and expectation to whatever it is you do. And I don't know what kind of plans they have behind the scenes there to do that. I don't know how they marry up their uh, football operations with their social media team. You know, you're you're certainly not going to inform your, your, your Twitter handler of your plans for the draft. That's those, if you weren't, if you weren't going to tell John Fox who you were drafting at quarterback, you're probably not going to tell the person that runs your Twitter account. Right. (laughs) So I, 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 I thought this was over. I thought these days were past. I thought Kevin Warren was going to be the guy that fixed everything, including this, because you can't possibly, as as much as we accuse this organization of being so insular and so kind of oblivious to the outside world, outside of Hallis Hall, you have to be in a cave buried in under the ground to not know how much bears fans support Justin Fields. There's a public, there's a, there's a public faction of bears fans, a a big group of people that want him back. 
it, you'd have to be oblivious. So that's why I think that if he isn't coming back and they trade him, this is an example. It's not hard for me to believe that there would be no connection between, you know, what they're going to do and this, because I do think that they tend to be a little bit um, disconnected, but I do think they've got to be aware that they're going to have to get in front of this at some point in time, or at least explain it because this is a huge, this is a huge issue and Bears fans love Justin Fields. Yeah. Uh, well, some Bears fans, right? Like, and that's where I think that this argument is like, it's so hard to, to separate because I, I hear from both sides, no matter nowadays, you just use the word Justin or Caleb in a tweet and you're getting bombarded by both sides. You know, even if it's, even if it's just a, a vague, just statement of fact on one side or the other, you just get bombarded. So there, there is a divide here, but to your point, like you just need to know what that is and you need to figure out how to navigate this in the next, um, you know, three months to, to, to lead up to whatever your ultimate decision is. I, I mean, the bears are going to have to a month from now, go to Indianapolis and they're going to have to meet the media, Ryan Paul's Maddie Berflus are going to have to talk and they're going to be asked a lot of questions about the quarterback position. And they're going to have to have their talking points down in a way that creates, um, you know, whatever sort of messaging they want to create, like it's their stage to, to set. If you decide not to set it, well, then you better be ready for the backlash one way or the other to whatever move it is that you do make. But it'll be fascinating to see kind of how they navigate that. Aren't they at the senior bowl this week? Aren't they down in Alabama this week? Yes. So if they're down there and they're asked about their decision to quarterback, don't they have to know the way they're going to address it this week? Well, so, so they're not speaking publicly at the senior bowl. The bears never speak publicly at the senior bowl. So if they're, if they're speaking to people it'll okay. just on, on the side, and I would imagine that they would hide their cards pretty strategically and, um, do what they need to do. But the next the next time that they'll be on the record with any of this is, is the combine or if Matt or Ryan decide to speak when they introduce the coordinators uh, a week from now, that would certainly come up in the offensive coordinator questioning because you want to know from Shane Waldron, hey, Shane, when you when you sat down to talk about this job, what'd they tell you about their plans at quarterback? And we'll see what uh, what Shane does to answer that question because that'll be Are telling. You- are you buying or renting? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that this is the same thing. Like when we talked about what does Shane Waldron do? Of course he calls Justin Fields. Of course he coaches or talks to him like he's going to be the quarterback. He's under contract. He is there in the building. So I, I kind of classify this under business as usual. If yeah. you're the Bears social media team and you have a schedule of off-season videos and players to hype, okay, Justin Fields is January 27th. Let's do that. So I don't know if it's anything more than that, but in Chicago, we can run with anything that we want to because that's the way things go when it comes to the Bears quarterback. It still is an ongoing debate. Some would say argument. I don't think it's that hard when you just reduce it to a football equation, but it's never just a football equation. I just wanted to look this up while we were talking here. That video on X got 6.8 million views. So maybe from maybe, maybe for the bears, it was just, Hey, they need a, a little extra spending money to, uh, to make some of the upgrades around the facilities. And they're going to cash that X check here soon with those 6.8 million views on the just, they should put one of those out every day and just keep compounding that's, uh, the monetization that they can get from their Twitter account. That's almost as much as a Kevin Warren video of him washing his car in the morning, right? <laughs> so, I don't I know. That's to... 7 million views. I don't know. Did it get that many? We'll have to, I don't know. I'll have to no, check that like, one out. To your point about the, the, the conversation, it's, it, it's amazing how supercharged it is. It's amazing how, um, 
I was trying to think of a way to say this friendly, but like how, how dumb it can be at times with people it, making it, points on both sides that are just completely irrelevant to what is actually being decided here. Uh, and then it just becomes a shouting match and who can shout louder with the, the, the dumber take. Um, and we'll see, you know, it's going to evolve. Or, I guess I didn't say that very friendly at all. Right. So I, no, that wasn't I, very friendly at all. Dan. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait till you're really friendly. Jeez. That was really friendly. Um, all right. So, this, this is this is an ongoing conversation, but I'll just add this before we get out of here and talk in terms of the quarterback discussion or debate. It has been reduced to, and I even introduced it this way: Caleb Williams versus Justin Fields. I think that's I think that's wrong, and even looking at it that way, I don't think it's Caleb Williams versus Justin Fields. I think if that were the case, then you can make the argument, and I could, you know, if it were many years, you would say, look at the Final Four, look at the draft hall you could get for just for for trading that pick, and look at the way you can get to the uh, championship game, maybe even to a Super Bowl with a quarterback that isn't this generational talent and with all the different pieces, and you could do your own rationalization. But to me, this isn't Caleb Williams versus Justin Fields. This is you know, Caleb Williams versus, I think, I don't even know if it's one versus the other. This is a study in like draft history. If this were a year where I think you had the quarterbacks that were available, you know, you look at you look at past drafts and in and, and recent times, you know, 2022, the first quarterback taken was Kenny Pickett, then Desmond Ritter. Last year, of course, it was Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. 2021, Trevor Lawrence. Now, I think he's in this category like Caleb Williams. 2020, certainly Joe Burrow. And Tua, the first two quarterbacks taken, Justin Herbert after him, that's different. 2019, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, Drew Locke, those are the first four. You get my point. You go down the road and you see if this were a year in which you had, let's say, a Blake Bortles that was going to be the first quarterback taken, you could easily justify being the Bears and trading it. But it's not. This is Caleb Williams as compared, not to Justin Fields, but draft history. Caleb Williams is considered by many people who do this for a living. And I know people get tired of hearing us say that. But one of those kind of guys like Lawrence, like Burrow, like Andrew Luck, like first overall draft picks that were not just the best quarterback available. This is the guy who you don't want to miss out on. Not because he's Patrick Mahomes-like, but because he is special in a way that other quarterbacks typically coming out aren't. That's why you don't pass on it. Not because he's better than Justin Fields or this or that. has very little, little to do with that, I think. Ultimately, it's you take the best player available in the draft and you, pay, you take the guy that is head and shoulders above everybody else at the position, and that, to me, is the easy choice. Well, I'm with you on your on your your final conclusion in that regard. I think for me, it starts with Caleb versus Justin as quarterbacks. I think I start there. And if I start to run into problems there as an evaluator, if I'm Ryan Poles and his staff, then you start to dig into other things. Okay, what can we get for trading the number one pick? What do we get when Justin Fields is no longer part of our program? And not only are we going to get a draft pick back from trading him, but we're also going to get cap savings. And most notably in 2025 and 2026, that will allow us to address other parts of our roster. 
I start with trying to figure out what is the floor and what is the ceiling of both these guys and which one gets us closer to opening the window for a long period of time. And that's, I think, gets lost in this because there seems to be a segment of people right now that are thinking that the Bears are, and I tweeted about this over the weekend and got a, a healthy, robust discussion in my mentions in saying that the, like this idea that this team that, that won seven games last year is in winner else mode in 2024 is so detached from NFL realities. You know, there was, there was 23 teams that had uh, as many or 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 um, more wins than the Bears, right? And so it's not like they're they're in this like pounce now or it's over. They're, they're elevating, you know. And you can elevate with with a rookie quarterback. You can elevate in a way that that creates momentum to what you're ultimately trying to achieve, which is having the window open. We just got done talking about Baltimore. We've talked about Buffalo. We've talked about Kansas City. You know, like these teams that that have found quarterbacks that put them in the playoffs every single year. Green Bay lived it forever with Aaron Rodgers and before that Brett Favre. You're looking for that that steel rod to put in the window that keeps the window open as opposed to trying to dive through this window that's closing like the the cave in Indiana Jones. You know, like you're trying to 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 to, to leave that window open. And the best way to do that is find a quarterback that has the potential to do that. Is it no risk? Absolutely not. Is it a guarantee? Absolutely not. You have to take some risk. You have to assume that there's going to be the chance of failure with any of these moves you make. If not, then you may as well just skip the draft every year because we know that, you know, it's a, a, a non guaranteed proposition. I, I just don't know how you could look at what Justin Fields has done through 38 starts and, tell yourself that that you've seen elite level NFL quarterbacking play. It's just as much of a guess with Justin Fields right now as it is with Caleb Williams. And with that being said, you have to understand that, that why the rookie contract matters and why that gives you an opportunity to, to, to move in different directions. I'm rambling a little bit, but I think no, I, I think it's a good point. The, the, the risk to me in Justin Fields realizing his potential might outweigh the risk that Caleb Williams will. Because here's here's the first question I ask people: What are you paying Justin? Like, if if you like the, the the people that are so like heart out of the beating out of their chest with every conversation they have about Justin Fields, what are you paying him? Are you ready to pay him now? Well, obviously not. Are you ready to give him the fifth year option? There's not a single person in the NFL that would 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 advocate for that when you have him under contract for the final year of his rookie deal. You let him see what he can do. And then even if, if you still feel like sticking with him after 2024, you're going to have to pay him the Daniel Jones contract for 160, right? Mm. 48, 40 a year. And like I say, in 25 and 26, if you've got a quarterback number one overall on a rookie deal, you're going to have 30 million in each of those years, approximately to, to spend in other areas, to, to get yourself a, a three tech, you know, that you might want to play as a veteran established guys to get yourself some more weapons for that quarterback to succeed with, to, to bolster your offensive line. Um, that's all a, a factor in this. So what do, what do people want to pay Justin Fields? Those who believe in him, are you ready to give out a ton of guaranteed money and a ton of cap space for four or five years down the road because you believe that strongly in his, his ability to lead and, and his mental toughness? Good stuff. The conversation will continue. We'll certainly be here for every step of the way as things develop, unfold, and we'll get to what's next. Anything else, Dan, before we get out of here? we got the Senior Bowl we'll talk about later this week at our next pod. But uh, beyond that, I don't know what the next move would be. The wide receiver coach may be hired before we get through this week. 
Don't forget about the running backs, Coach. I will give our audience a tease and in so doing give you and Studs a little nudge. I'm going to pull up our uh, preseason predictions here soon, and we're going to have our, our predictions revisited episode, which was a lot of fun last year. I think it's going to be equally fun this year. We're going to prove how stupid and smart we are all at once. And so uh, that's, always, that's always fun for the audience, right? That's always fun for everybody. All right, that's great. We will look forward to that next time. We'll wrap things up now. For Adam Sudzinski and Dan Weeder, I'm David Hoff. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. You can watch us on the 670 Scores YouTube page. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Great talk. See you out there.